Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded in the J. Christian Bay Rare Books Room at the State Historical Society of Missouri's Columbia Research Center and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or at whatever hour you are tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I will be your guide as we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. Today, we are speaking with Caroline Frazier. She holds a PhD in English and American Literature from Harvard University and is the author of God's Perfect Child, Living and Dying in the Christian Science Church, and Rewilding the World, Dispatches from the Conservation Revolution. Additionally, she served as editor of the Library of America edition of Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House Books. Her work has also appeared in The New Yorker, Atlantic Monthly, New York Review of Books, Outside Magazine, and the London Review of Books. Her most recent book, Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder, won the National Book Critics Circle Award for Biography, the Plutarch Award, and the Pulitzer Prize in Biography. In Prairie Fires, Frazier provides a stunning account of the events in Laura Ingalls Wilder's life that inspired her later literary masterpieces. Uh, well, welcome to the Art Missouri podcast, Caroline Frazier. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, going through your book on kind of Laura Ingalls Wilder and, and kind of her American dreams and her story, could you tell us a little bit about the origins of the book? What inspired you to write a, a, a book about Laura Ingalls Wilder and her larger life and literary career? Well, I started with Laura Ingalls Wilder, probably where a lot of other readers start, which was uh, I read the books as a kid and loved them. You know, I was a, I was a big fan uh, and read them all more than once, like a lot of people. I think as a, as a kid, children often find them really comforting uh, and kind of soothing, these, these books. I mean, they're great adventure stories, and, and they're full of uh, natural disasters, but they're also um, kind of wonderful in their evocation of, of family life. And, and so I loved them as a kid, and... Uh, got to know them pretty well. Um, and then as an adult, I had some opportunities to write about the, the books and about Wilder. Um, there, there have been various kind of news stories about her in the past, you know, 20 years or so. There was a whole uh, uh, kind of investigation into whether her daughter was really the author of the Little House books. And so I got uh, involved in in writing about that, and uh, eventually was uh, the editor for the Library of America's uh, edition of the Little House books, and that was what really uh, inspired me to write an, a, a newer biography of her because um, there hadn't been a new one in in a few years, and and I just found the history behind her books so fascinating. Um, the more that I explored it, that, that it, I felt that um, other readers might be interested in this too. Mm -hmm. Did you have a particular favorite one of her books as you encountered it earlier on? Yeah, my, my favorite as a kid was The Long Winter, um, which is, of course, the, the book a little later in the series about how the family survives uh, this, this winter of 18... 80, when the, the entire town of DeSmet, which had only been a town for about a year or so, <laughs> uh, was, was beset by this terrible winter. It was actually called uh, the hard winter, um, when there was just one blizzard after another, uh, and the town was cut off uh, by the railroad. The, the trains couldn't reach it because of the snow. And so the entire town, which at that point was around 100 people, um, nearly perished. Uh, and it's such a great book because it's not just a kind of adventure story, but it's a real examination of, of what it's like to, to encounter and, and survive 
you know, despair, I think. I mean, the, the family was so, um, so isolated and came near to starvation. And, and to me as a kid, that was just fascinating. You know, it, it, it just really felt like um, an amazing uh, experience of, of kind of living through it with them. And it remains, I think, one of my one of my favorites. Now, in terms of researching for not only this book, uh, but also for your prior work, uh, kind of editing the collection with Laura Ingalls Wilder, what kind of archives and collections did you visit? And did you also were you also able to visit kind of physical locations that she herself had been to or lived at in parts of the North and the Midwest? Yeah, sure. Um, the the most important um, archive uh, of uh, both Laura's papers and her daughter Rose Rose Wilder Lane. Um, those papers reside now at the um, Herbert Hoover Presidential Library. Uh, Rose Wilder Lane, the the daughter uh, of the Wilders, their only surviving child. Uh, became a, a journalist, and, and one of her um, earlier works was a, the first biography of Herbert Hoover before he ever became president. So they acquired uh, Rose's papers and, and her mother's papers as well. And so that is one of the most important, uh, probably the most important archive in terms of the letters, mm-hmm. um, and and manuscripts uh and and so i did spend quite a bit of time there going through all of those materials um but there are a number of other archives including the state historical uh society of missouri which were incredibly important uh to me and and other wilder scholars the um state historical society of course uh helped preserve a number of Wilder's original manuscripts by um, uh, having their archives, archivists treat the manuscripts, I think, uh, and also make microfilm copies of them. And I and, and many other researchers have used those microfilm copies over the years uh, of, of the existing manuscripts and, and especially the um, manuscript of uh, Pioneer Girl, the unpublished uh, memoir that Wilder wrote first before she wrote the the Little House books, um, and of course the the State Historical Society also has uh, great archives for newspapers, um, which are also really important. The you know Mansfield Mirror and the uh, Mountain Grove Journal and so forth. So so those were all really important to me. Um, but of course, I also went to to all the the home sites, which are mm-hmm. um, you know fascinating. A lot of fans do this. There are some significant um, materials and and archives at the various sites as well. And these include, um, of course, uh, the Wilders' home uh, at Rocky Ridge Farm in uh, Mansfield, Missouri. And there's also a Desmet, South Dakota. Um, another um, kind of amazing uh, place to to get a feel for the way the the Ingalls family lived um, and for what the life of that town uh, must have been like. Um, also went to Malone, New York, where the uh, Almanzo Wilder grew up um, in the first years of his childhood, and his uh, the farmhouse that he grew up in is still there and another uh, really um, important place to visit. So, and, and there are a number of the other places as well. There's, there's the um, recreation of the little house on the prairie outside of Independence, Kansas. There's Burr Oak, Iowa, where the family spent um, a year or so that, uh, Wilder never wrote about, chose never to write about because it was such a difficult time for the family. Um, and of course, then there's Walnut Grove, uh, Minnesota, um, which uh, was uh, adopted as the, the site of the um, 
setting for the TV show. So a lot of people are familiar with that. Uh, and, and that too is, is a really amazing place to see that the, the land on Plum Creek where the family farmed and, and lived in the little dugout, you can still see the depression uh, in the side of the, <laughs> the creek. Um, you know, the side of the, the kind of uh, 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 creek uh, bed where the, the, um, the dugout was. Okay. So that's a, it's, it's an amazing uh, thing to see and to kind of experience the landscapes where, where she lived. Now, thinking about kind of talk about visiting family sites and certainly understanding her connections with her, her relatives and her immediate family members, could you tell us a little bit about the relationship Laura Ingalls Wilder had with her father uh, as well as with her own daughter? throughout her life. Mm. Yeah, well, the, the relationship that Wilder had with her father was, I think, probably one of the most important in her life. Uh, you know, undoubtedly, the, the connection that she felt to him, I think, was even more perhaps important than, than her relationship with her mother, although I think she loved her mother dearly. But uh, I think she felt a connection to her father because of some similarities they had in temperament. Um, I think that they both uh, ha felt a kind of, you know, wanderlust and, and had a relationship to the land uh, that um, was very important to both of them. I think that they were um, also shared a kind of love of, of being alone in the the wilderness um, that that her mother probably didn't share with her. Her mother was a was a much more um, kind of domestic uh, creature, and and perhaps shared more in terms of temperament with uh, Laura's older sister Mary. Um, both of both Mary and Caroline Ingalls were, um, I think, fairly pious. Uh, and uh, people who who were also very patient, um, whereas <laughs> Laura, you know, always described herself as having a temper and kind of flying out at people, and um, was very rambunctious. And and I think she felt that connection to her father because I think they may have been uh, a little bit alike in that way. Um, but she, you know, Laura, both as a, as a child and then later as an adult. I think really idolized her her father and always wanted to cast him in the best possible light, even though he wasn't always the greatest provider or the most, um, you know, wasn't somebody who was providing the most secure existence for his family. And and you can see her making excuses for him in a way that she doesn't for anyone else, including herself, you know, she, she, she cut him a lot of slack. <laughs> I think, um, I think one of the reasons why the little house books exist was to memorialize him, uh, and, and all the joy that he brought to their lives. I mean, I think, you know, even though he wasn't perhaps the greatest farmer, he, he must've been a really charming uh, person and and that really comes across in the books. He he's, um, you know, a sort of wonderful musician, plays the fiddle, um, and and even throughout these these really terrible uh, uh, ordeals that the family goes through, uh, there still is always this undercurrent of of real you know pleasure that they take in one another's company and, and joy and, um, and even safety, you know, which is such a inherent part of the, the little house books, which, you know, I don't know if they really felt that always, you know, in, in some of the, the more extreme moments, uh, of the, the hard winter, various other times when, um, there, they didn't know when their next, where their next meal was coming from, but, um, you know, her, her father, I think, is central to the whole series. And indeed, I think we, we probably have the books be, because of him. You know, the, the loss of, of her father, I think, was quite critical in inspiring, inspiring Wilder to want to write the books. Um, 
But of course, the other uh, very central relationship in Wilder's life was the relationship with her daughter, which um, was a very difficult one. Uh, Laura's parents were older when they had uh, their children. And you can see how they might have been more successful in uh, creating a kind of uh, warm family life and, and a sense of security, even when there was very little security. But for Laura, Laura was uh, 19 when she had her daughter, uh, Rose. And the, the Wilder family, you know, Laura and her husband, El Manzo, experienced a number of, of very severe, um, you know, disasters and, and traumatic events uh, when, when Rose was very young. Um, the, they came down with diphtheria, uh, which left El Manzo with a, a, you know, permanent disability. He had trouble uh, with his um, hands and with walking really for the rest of his life. I mean, he was able to do a lot of uh, very strenuous work, but nonetheless, I think he was in a lot of pain uh, for periods for the rest of his life. Uh, so that was a huge blow. And then, of course, there were, there were other, you know, disasters. They, they could not succeed as farmers. They lost crop after crop um, when Rose was a child. And this culminated in this uh, sort of awful summer when uh, was pregnant with their second child, and then their house burned down, the house that El Manzo had built for his wife. So that was uh, kind of a, the final blow. And I think all of those traumas taken together really affected Rose for the rest of her life. Um, and you can see how Laura was, was maybe not so experienced a, a parent as her parents were, um, and, and there seems to have been tension between Laura and her daughter very early on, even uh, when Rose was a young child. Um, and this, this sense of, of both dependency, you know, they were very dependent on each other, uh, Laura and Rose, and yet also a, a real tension um, that came of Rose wanting to break away from her mother, uh, just sort of kept working itself out um, throughout their whole lives. Uh, Rose, of course, would be critical in, in the creation of the Little House book. She's another person who I think um, can be credited with um, the existence of the books, not because she wrote them, but because she continually urged her mother to take on this project, told her it was important, um, put her mother in the way of various professional opportunities because uh, as Rose herself became uh, an emerging journalist in San Francisco, she was constantly urging her mother to write about stuff for local newspapers, write about um, eggs and chickens and, and you know, mm -hmm. so she, she was the one who really sort of pushed her mother into becoming first a, a journalist and, and then a writer. And, and I think Rose always saw the commercial potential of the story. Um, and of course, would, would later share her literary agent, would um, be instrumental in getting the, the books published. So, you know, even though they had a, a very tempestuous relationship, uh, it was a crucial one. It's very true. Yeah, looking back on kind of the the connections they had, you're, you're exactly right in the sense of of being a tense relationship, but also very much uh, necessary to kind of go forward with her literary career. Now, when we think about Little House on the on the Prairie and the Little House books, uh, we often kind of think of you know the, the the big woods of the North, the Wisconsin, Minnesota, the Dakotas, and even kind of her travels in Kansas as well. But the main location that becomes kind of home for her in many ways in the latter part of Laura Ingalls Wilder life uh, is Mansfield, Missouri. 
Now, considering their earlier move to, I believe it was Sheraton County, and the, the short-lived nature of that, uh, I guess, establishment, what intrigued them to move back to a place like Mansfield later in life? Um, yeah, I think that uh, the the earlier episode in Missouri occurred when Laura was very young, um, three and four years old. Uh, and um, her father, Charles Engel, had bought um, a piece of property, possibly sight unseen in, in Cheriton County, as, as you mentioned. Um, we know very little about what they did there. They, they do seem to have passed through there, um, but then they go to Kansas and have the, the experiences that would become the, the famous uh, material uh, behind the little house on the prairie, uh, behind that novel. Um, and what Laura remembered of that uh, is is not entirely clear. She she only mentions Missouri once um, in her memoir, Pioneer Girl, I think, uh, and uh, that is. Uh, a reference to when they left Kansas and went back to Wisconsin. Um, so I don't think she had a lot of very specific memories associated with Missouri from that earlier period. Um, although they do seem to have, you know, probably spent a little time there, but she never uh, talks about that earlier episode as um, in any way inspiring their later move um, to Missouri. That was really inspired by um, some friends of theirs who, uh, this is when they were living in Desmet after they'd had all these disasters uh, and, and been forced to, to sell their property. Um, and they had some friends, they, the, the Wilders were working at odd jobs in Desmet trying to make money, trying to figure out where they were going to go. They were looking for property that um, was uh, easier for El Manzo to, to work because uh, he was having this, this um, you know, trouble walking. I don't think he was particularly strong. And so uh, plowing land um, and so forth may have been a little bit beyond his uh, abilities at that point. And so they were looking for anything where any place that would be good for his health um, and that would also offer better opportunities for, for him. And they had a friend in DeSmet who had taken up one of these uh, free offers uh, given out by a railroad to go check out land. And this was um, the uh, uh, Kansas City... Uh, Memphis Railroad, I think, was was uh, had various names at, at different points. Um, but this this railroad, as many uh, around the country did, would offer uh, you know a farmer free free fare to go check out land in a region because they were trying to encourage uh, you know the the uh, agri agricultural and economic activity along their their railroad lines. So. This friend of theirs went to check out uh, Mansfield and, and came back full of stories about the land of the Big Red Apple. Um, and, and the railroad, too, had published, as many of them did, a, a spectacular pamphlet, a sort of booklet uh, about the glories of, of the Ozarks and how it was the perfect place to grow apples and, and people were making all kinds of money, you know, working in orchards and uh, raising um, fruit in this area and various other, you know, economic activities in, in the Ozarks. And in fact, there were drawings, you know, that, that depicted Mansfield as a, as a beautiful town. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that Laura and Almanzo poured over this publication as they had over various other, you know, um, I think it was one such pamphlet that that drew them to Florida for a kind of uh, not very successful sojourn in in Florida. But um, I think their their hopes were raised and and they were inspired to go to the Ozarks by this 
this publication and by their friend. Um, and, and it turned out to be a, a pretty good place for them. I mean, I think it was a real struggle at first uh, because the land that they were able to afford near Mansfield was, was pretty um, rough country, you know, very brushy. Um, I mean, they called it Rocky Ridge Farm, I think, <laughs> in, a, um, in an almost kind of joking sense, because of course it was quite rocky. There are all these stories in the town of, you know, people who remember as a kid, as kids, picking rocks, you know, for farmers. They would be paid, uh, you know, small sums of money to, to go pick out rocks from the, the land they were trying to clear. So it wasn't easy, but uh, I do think that the climate was kinder in some ways to Almanzo, and they both grew to love it. I mean, they, they were thrilled when they first saw um, the area and, and, and really grew to love the Ozarks. One of the things that really struck me as I was going through your book was how once the Wilders moved to the Mansfield era, Laura herself became quite involved in kind of local matters uh, of the community and really kind of of the state as well. And one thing that really stuck out was her writings for the Missouri Ruralist at the time. Could you tell us a little bit about what kind of spurred her into writing for this publication and what topics she tried to engage with? Yeah, the... the um... When, when Rose was first uh, kind of trying to urge her, her mother to write for publication and to earn money that way, she steered her to, you know, various newspapers in um, Kansas City and St. Louis and so forth. And I think that, that Laura felt most comfortable writing about what she knew. I mean, she was quite well known uh, in her community. Um, as uh, an expert on poultry. You know, she was very successful in raising chickens and um, getting them to produce uh, eggs for sale. And this this would become one of her first topics. So, of course, Laura, I think, maybe had a slightly more um, realistic sense of, of the newspaper market in a, in a way that, than Rose did, because I think, well, Laura would end up writing for, for some larger newspapers um, occasionally. I think she started out uh, sending things to very small, local, rural um, newspapers, and, and a real up-and-comer at this time was the Missouri Ruralist, which was kind of a combination, I think, of a couple of smaller papers um, by a uh, newspaper guy from, uh, uh, I think, from uh, Kansas. Uh, I'm forgetting his name off the top mm-hmm. of my head, but uh, he, w- he was quite a, a successful entrepreneur in the newspaper um, in the Midwest. Uh, and uh, designed and and really had them uh had his editors uh focus in the ruralist on the the midwest um agricultural scene and uh the editor for uh the missouri ruralist saw um went to a a conference and and heard a paper read that that laura had written um uh, about the small farm home and and it was a really kind of beautiful lyrical uh, description of how wonderful it was to have one of these small farms and and how successful you could be in in uh, um, in supporting yourself on a, on a relatively small acreage uh, which was a little misleading in a way because the wilders actually had quite a large spread um, mm-hmm. And and Wilder was writing about uh, something that was about you know just a few acres, but in any event, um, she she was so successful in putting this across in the in this piece that the editor of the Ruralist heard at the the um, Missouri conference that um, he contacted her and asked her uh, to write for the Ruralist, and and over a relatively short period she became 
a very important columnist for the ruralist, really the, the uh, representative of farm women uh, across a, a sort of multi-state area. And I think she became, you know, fairly popular and beloved. She's featured quite prominently in ads uh, for the ruralist. Um, so it was a really important period in which she kind of earned her, her journalistic chops, if you will, and, and began writing in a kind of personal voice to other um, farm women and, and addressing them, uh, offering advice to them. Uh, and eventually she worked into these columns a number of um, anecdotes and, and references to her childhood and, you know, about her father and about the uh, the hard winter and, and, you know, various things. You can see her kind of trying out these topics uh, for her later work. Yeah, it's interesting to consider kind of not only trying out the the writings about certain subjects in publications like The Ruralist, but also her earlier writings in her diaries and kind of just writings on the back of envelopes and letters and things like that, kind of documenting day-to-day -day life when she was younger. How much do you think events of the late 20s and 30s, thinking of the Depression, the death and illness of other relatives, how much do you think that inspired her to push towards writing ultimately the Little House series? Um, I think it was very important. I, I think she'd had the idea of, of writing down her father's stories. These are the, the kind of very charming little um, bedtime stories that you see in her first book, Little House in the Big Woods. I think she'd had the idea of, of trying to preserve those stories for many, many years. You can see references in letters between um, Laura and her daughter, where she talks, you know, about this as early as, you know, the the 1910s. Um, but I think she may have been thinking about it for a, for a very long time. Um, but I do think it, it was uh, the the um, the passing of her her mother and her sister Mary uh, that really pressed her. Um, to I think she, when her her mother died, especially she wrote um, a very brief um, note to be published in the place of her column in the Missouri Ruralist that really expressed uh, a sense of urgency. I think to to deal with these memories and um, that I is the the anecdote that I open with. Uh, at the beginning of Prairie Fires, because I think it's so important. I think it really shows um, her response to her mother's death, which is not, I think, at all unusual. You know, with, obviously, when your uh, parents die, you feel a kind of sense of your own mortality mm -hmm. uh, approaching. And uh, this came at a time when she was starting to cut back. Uh, on her other activities, her uh, farming. Um, they really, the, the Wilders really retired from farming in the late 20s. Um, and, and their daughter was sort of helping to support them. So she had more free time. Um, but I think it, it really was that, that moment when, when her mother died that she realized, oh, I wish I had talked to her about, um, you know, some of these things. I wish I had gotten more of her memories from her. And shortly after her mother died, she wrote to her um, mother's sister, Martha, uh, asking uh, Martha to put down in writing some of the, uh, their memory, her memories of their childhood, uh, which you can see as, as a real uh, important step in, uh, in Laura sitting down and writing her her own memoir, which, which happened around 1930. Uh, and that memoir, although it was never uh, published during Wilder's life, would become really the kind of outline for the Little House series. Now, looking at the kind of series as a whole, why do you think they had such a strong kind of support, not only at the time they were published, I mean, being able to write the next, the next edition, the next edition, the next edition, but also having a kind of a subject matter that still is quite popular today. Why do you think that was? What kind of, 
ideas in American culture did Laura Ingalls Wilder's books kind of latch on to and find a home with? Mm. In terms of, of the response to the first book, Little House in the Big Woods, the, I think there was an almost immediate sense among readers that that these books tapped into a very important um, kind of strain in, in American thinking, if you will, because even though the, the book is intended for, for young children, it's such a powerful evocation of, um, you know, independence of, of the whole idea of the American farm as a, a kind of um, sacred uh, place of self-reliance that really embodies everything um, that, that Americans felt about, uh, you know, being able to support your family. Uh, and that whole idea was, of course, tremendously important at the beginning of the Great Depression when, when people are um, finding it impossible uh, to support themselves. Uh, so I think people were responding um, readers and, and children were responding to this vision from a somewhat earlier time um, that, that made it seem that it would be possible once again to achieve that, that sense of um, security. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a real uh, moment of despair for so many people. And yet this book seemed to offer a beautiful vision of, of what was possible. Um, and I think that that remained very important throughout the series. Obviously, there, there, you know, people were very much drawn into the stories, um, the, the struggles of the family to survive. And, and so Wilder throughout, as she was writing each book, would, would get letters, you know, from from classrooms, from students, from children, uh, kind of demanding to know what happened next. <laughs> and I think she was actually quite startled by this in, in some ways. She, she, I think, didn't realize uh, how successful she would be in, um, you know, creating the, the sense of, uh, uh, suspense, you know, of, of what was going to happen to to the Ingalls, what was going to happen um, to Almanzo, uh, was Laura going to, you know, marry Almanzo at the end? You know, <laughs> there were all these these sort of uh, questions that each volume raised successively, and so she was very much responding to that. But I think. Um, you know that the, the readership was, was initially caught and held by this this extraordinary um, story of, of of a single family's survival. You know, and and how they pioneered, and um, and and the books really draw you into that process. You know, the children today even are are really um, always respond. I think to the the incredible descriptions of how they did things, how they, you know, built the little house, how they, uh, you know, crafted the door and the hinges on the door and the latch for the door and, um, you know, how they plowed the land, you know, how they dug a well. I mean, there there are just these incredible uh, images of, of and descriptions of process that are incredibly involving. Um, to children, and and I think create part of the sense of, of security that you feel as you read the books, even as the family is threatened by all these outside challenges. I'm Bob Pretty with this Missouri Minute about a man hunted for years. The governor posted a reward, dead or alive. He and his brother became Confederate guerrillas during the Civil War, and after the war, they became outlaws. But now his brother was dead, and the other members of the gang were dead or in prison, and he feared for the welfare of his family and for his own life. So he and a friendly newspaper publisher went to Jefferson City one day, spent the day strolling around town or lounging at a hotel, and late that afternoon the governor invited several newsmen and state officials to his office, and the two men strolled in during the meeting, and the newspaper publisher John Newman Edwards told Governor Thomas Crittenden, I want to introduce you to my friend Frank James. 
and so the last of the James gang was brought in. A reception was held that night at the hotel. The governor attended, and a few days later, James went to Independence in a jail cell. Ten months later, Frank James went on trial and was acquitted. He was never convicted of anything. But an era ended on that October 5, 1882, when the last of the James gang was taken into custody. I'm Bob Pretty for the Center for Missouri Studies. Now, when we think of the book series overall, kind of throughout its lifespan, how do you think its popularity uh, kind of stands today? Is it still uh, kind of a piece of Central American literature that children are kind of reading in schools? Or where do you see it at in terms of its overall popularity? You know, I think it, you know, both Wilder's reputation and the, the uh, popularity of the book's has evolved significantly, obviously, since um, since she wrote them. I mean, for one thing, there's there was the television show, you know, which uh, was enormously popular in the 1970s and 80s and brought uh, the series and and just the idea of the, um, you know, the the idea of this family uh, pioneering in the West to a lot of people who might never have discovered the books, including internationally. You know, I mean, there are people around the world who have seen the show who who may never have um, read the books and and don't know about them, uh, and ha- who have I think a, a fairly, you know simplified idea of of what the whole story was about. Um, So that represents one kind of major, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, signpost in in the evolution of the series. I think now we're into a very different time. You know, the, the, I think the series, when you look at it today, seems Seems like it's very much about the 1970s or, or 80s, um, and and is kind of dated in that way, even though it's still uh, popular and in syndication. Um, it's hard to gauge how popular the books remain in terms of sales because I don't think we have um, current sales figures for them. But I do uh, know that it remains a. a continues to be a real staple um, of of homeschoolers, of of people who uh, are homeschooling their children. Um, It's certainly popular in uh, circles um, in which, you know, people are are eager to instill these uh, values, you know, which are associated with the books. Um, which Wilder often spoke of, you know, she spoke of her parents' values as, you know, independence and self-reliance and integrity. Um, and, and so people who are uh, interested in kind of uh, maintaining that um, the American tradition associated with those values are still very fond uh, of the Little House books and, and are still reading to them to their children. But that having been said, there's, there's obviously now a real reevaluation of the Little House books and their, um, whether they're appropriate to uh, put before children uh, in schools. And, and this, of course, goes to the recent uh, decision by the American Library Association to withdraw Wilder's name from the award um, that they had given out since the late 1950s, they, they had established an award named for Wilder. And, and of course, Wilder was the first recipient of it. And, and this was for lifetime achievement. Um, but recently, they decided to take uh, Wilder's name off the, the award um, in, in a climate in which it's become increasingly clear that, that some of Wilder's works, especially the, the most famous book, Little House on the Prairie, includes um, stereotypes of, of Native Americans. And, and so the whole question of how do you present this, um, this book or, or this series to children uh, in a time in which these kinds of stereotypes are no longer uh, acceptable? I mean, do you teach them still in schools? Do you uh, 
uh, ask children to read them. I mean, and I, I think it's a really uh, important debate, you know, that, that we're now having um, that has to be, uh, you know, these question, questions have to be considered because it, it is hard to um, ask children to read some of these things without providing uh, the historical context in which they were written, without talking to them about what are, you know, stereotypes, what do they mean? How do they affect people? Um, so these are all ways in which, you know, Wilder and, and her work are, are, are really being re-examined. And, and I think it's an important part of her legacy. In looking forward towards your, your presentation, your, your public talk for the Center for Missouri Studies, what would you kind of tell kind of a general audience about your talk? What are you going to talk about and kind of how, how should they familiarize themselves with Laura Ingalls Wilder to prepare for, for your presentation? Well, I, I think I'm going to be talking about um, Wilder and uh, American identity and how she has um, kind of tapped into uh, a lot of our, our traditions, our, our, um, our ways of thinking about who we are as Americans. Um, and how her work has itself defined uh, American identity for generations of, of school children. So um, I don't think that, that uh, anyone who comes to the lecture needs to prepare exactly. I mean, if they have a relationship to the books or have read them, that's great, but they don't necessarily need to have that background. Um, because I'll be talking uh, a little bit about some of, of Wilder's work and, and about Little House on the Prairie, I think, in, in specific, specifically, uh, and, and in a way that I think is um, open to anybody who's read the books and, and to people who may not have read them. Um, and that, I think, was, was one of the ideas behind you know, writing Prairie Fires was that, um, sure, there were generations of fans out there, and I hope that that uh, fans can get um, new insight from the biography. But I also felt that there were maybe uh, a lot of people who uh, had some kind of glancing familiarity with the TV show, but didn't really know who Wilder was, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, in a lot of ways, we've, we've you know, in, we've almost loved Laura Ingalls Wilder to death. You know, <laughs> and, and some she's she's become so beloved that it's kind of uh, obscured who she really was. Um, and and she was a, a fascinating and um, very complicated person. So. Uh, the talk will, I think, introduce her to people who may not be familiar with her work, but but also provide maybe some uh, ideas and and concepts um, and and analysis of of why she's so important uh, as an American. Well, thank you very much for being on the Our Missouri podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, I am your host, Sean Rost. The show's producer is Brian Austin. The opening and concluding credits are narrated by Kevin Walsh. Did you enjoy listening to today's episode about Laura Ingalls Wilder? Well, State Historical Society of Missouri has two events coming up dedicated to Wilder's life and literary career. Register now to attend the Center for Missouri Studies Fall Lecture at the Courtyard by Marriott in Columbia on October 13th. This year's event features Pulitzer Prize-winning author Caroline Frazier, who will talk about her recent book, Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder. On November 5th, the Historical Society's Columbia Research Center will host a family day event organized by Sarah Poff on Little House Life, featuring churning butter, making rag dolls, designing marble pouches, and other frontier activities. Benton's Perilous Visions is an exhibit of Thomas Hart Benton artwork from World War II that showcases the artist's interpretation of the anxiety, horror, grief, and resolve that permeated American society during the war years. This exhibit will be on display in the main gallery of the State Historical Society of Missouri's Columbia Research Center until spring 2019. If you care about researching and preserving your family's history, the Historical Society is offering two events in mid-October that might be of interest to you. 
On October 16th, the Society is collaborating with the Historical Society of Marys County for a program on preserving family history at the Marys County Courthouse in Vienna. On October 18th, Katie Seal, senior archivist at the Society's Rollo Research Center, is hosting an event on beginning genealogy at the Scenic River Library in Owensville. If you live in southeast Missouri, please visit the Historical Society's Cape Girardeau Research Center for its open house on October 26th. This event is a great way to familiarize yourself with the center's material documenting southeast Missouri history. Cape Girardeau Research Center is located in Pacific Hall on the campus of Southeast Missouri State University. On the other side of the state, in southwest Missouri, the Barry Lawrence Regional Library will be the host for two events featuring archivist Aaron Smither and Jamie Lewis from the Historical Society's Springfield Research Center. On October 20th, Jamie Lewis will give a presentation at the Mount Vernon branch of the Barry Lawrence Regional Library on the cobra scare that terrorized residents of nearby Springfield when several snakes escaped from an exotic pet store during the summer of 1953. On November 2nd, the unsinkable Molly Brown, portrayed by Aaron Smither, will make an appearance at the Monette branch of the Barry Lawrence Regional Library to discuss the rags-to-riches story of the famous Missourian who survived the Titanic's fateful collision with an iceberg. Are you an educator who is interested in developing a National History Day program at your school or using Missouri's primary sources in your classroom? The State Historical Society of Missouri is participating in several educator workshops in October and November that will provide tips on exhibits, performances, programming, and finding effective resources within the Historical Society's vast collections. National History Day workshops will be held at the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library and Museum in Independence on October 13th, Webster Hall on the campus of Missouri Southern State University on October 18th, and Gentry Middle School in Columbia on October 25th and November 29th. National History Day Missouri Coordinator Maggie Mahan will join senior archivist Katie Seal for a digital collections workshop at the Curtis Laws Wilson Library on the Missouri S&T campus in Rolla on November 2nd. Maggie will be in St. Louis on November 9th for a workshop at the Thomas Jefferson Library on the campus of the University of Missouri-St. Louis with senior archivist Claire Marks. Finally, did you know that your history, yes, your history, is important? Join Senior Archivist Claire Marks and Bicentennial Coordinator Michael Sweeney at the Freedens Peace United Church of Christ in New Melly on November 2nd for an event on discovering your Missouri history in preparation for the upcoming State Bicentennial in 2021. To register and learn more about these events, visit the State Historical Society of Missouri's website at shsmo.org events. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org slash our dash Missouri.